All right, good evening, everybody. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you will. 1 Timothy 4, as we continue on through the New Testament, let's pray before we get started. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we have it and can freely read it and study it, and uh, we can get as close to you as we want to in our country, and we're thankful for that. Lord, help us to take advantage of that and never to take it for granted. Uh, Lord, tonight we're going to be studying chapter 4, um, the the book you uh, put on Paul's heart to write to this young pastor, Timothy, as we continue on through this, Lord, help us to get everything we need out of it. Um, I pray as we hold your word up as a mirror to our lives, Lord, that we'd see ourselves clearly, that you'd encourage us, exhort us, um, rebuke us if necessary, but uh, I pray that we would leave different, changed, Lord. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, chapter four, the great apostasy is where we start. Last week, um, Paul gave Timothy good doctrine, the sound doctrine that should be taught and should be understood and things he was supposed to do after giving him the qualifications for an elder and for a deacon, what that looks like in the New Testament church, the way uh, Christ has designed it. Uh, Timothy was left in Ephesus to go ahead and set those guys up as rulers and leaders and to find these people. And so Paul gave him some criteria. This is what you're looking for in a man of God who's going to lead a church. But he ends with this great mystery, this great understanding of why we can live such a great life, how we can live an obedient life, and that's through the power of the Holy Spirit, through what Christ has done. And uh, now he switches gears a little bit. In chapter 4 to verse 1, here's what's, what's going to happen in the latter days, though. The reason I'm telling you to set up good, solid leadership in the church, the reason I'm telling you to teach good, solid doctrine, is because there's going to be an abundance of false doctrine. There's going to be an abundance of false teachers, and so you need to have this in order. It's of great importance. So verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So he tells him, watch out, these latter times. Now we have latter days, and then we have latter times. The latter days have to do with the latter days of the latter times. The latter times are now. That's what Paul's saying here. Started with the New Testament church right away, first century, latter times. Now we live in the latter days. We're 2,000 years into it. We know that Christ's return is imminent. Um, there are no more prophecies that need to be fulfilled for him to return. And so we're looking for that. So we're in the latter days of these latter times. So Paul's giving him instruction. These latter times are going to produce some funny things, strange things, uh, false teachings. Some are going to depart from the faith. That's the first step. Some are going to leave the faith. Um, they're going to walk away from their relationship with Jesus Christ, walk away from their trust in God. I'm trying to think of an example of that. Um, we all talk about increasing our faith and trusting God more and um, I don't know if this is the time or the teaching for this, but I was thinking about Aaron. Um, I need a ride home tonight. Can I get a ride home? Okay. Are you sure? Okay. How do I know? I mean, I know you say you're giving me a ride. It's a pretty simple thing I've requested of you, and you've said yes, but can I get a ride? Okay. We all heard him say that, right? Um, John, can I get a ride home with you? Okay. Just, okay. How'd that make you feel? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Exactly. God has given us no reason to doubt him. He's never given us any reason to doubt his word. And yet we still have a hard time with trusting him and having faith in him. It's a frustrating thing for him. I mean, I know he doesn't get frustrated because he's got broad shoulders and he's bigger than we are and he created us. He knows that we're but dirt. I'm grateful he wrote that scripture in there to remind me. I know you're from the dust. But how must that look to him or feel to him or to the angels who are standing around him singing, holy, 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 and there's us down there. God, I'm just not sure about you. And They're like, what? Well, they wouldn't say that probably. <laughs> um, but really? What have I ever done? People are going to depart from the faith. It's going to be harder and harder for them to believe God, to trust God, and they're going to actually walk away from it and trust other things other than him. They're going to trust in money. They're going to trust in their own resources, their own abilities, talents, gifts, government, friends, family, wives, husband, children. They're going to trust everything, creation. They're going to trust other things other than him. They're going to depart from the faith. It's a slippery thing. It's a sneaky thing to move away from the trust of God. It doesn't start off, nobody stands up and says, I renounce my faith in Jesus Christ, therefore I shall trust everything but him. Nobody ever says that. But that's where it ends. We've got to be careful about that. You have to watch ourselves. Some will depart from the faith. There is active faith. It works. And we talked about that um, this last Sunday, where faith is actually shown up when we do what he said to do. When we believe him at his word, we actually follow through on it. That's why teaching tonight, you know, listening to Bible study tonight, is great. It's our first step. We hear God's word. But when we're confronted with God's word and it shows us our hearts like a mirror, we have a challenge then. We have a decision to make. Will I believe God's word and actually change? Or will I throw away God's word and stick with what I know or what I believe? People are going to depart from the faith. They're going to then, once that happens, giving heed to deceiving spirits. You're going to believe something. You're just not believing God anymore, so now you're open to everything. And so you begin to listen to these deceiving spirits. Remember the first deceiving spirit? First deceiving spirit on the scene. Satan, right? What did he say? What was his deception to Eve? You're not, yeah, you didn't really say that. And you're not going to die. You're not going to die. And that's the struggle. God said this is what's going to happen. The deceiving spirit says that's not going to happen. It's very clear. It's very simple. It's not a difficult concept for us to grasp. But as you depart from the faith, and you begin to doubt God's word, and you then give heed to deceiving spirits, that's happening. It's evident in the church today by the way they compromise on sin or the way they compromise on what God's word says. That scripture's not for today. That scripture's Victorian. It's old school. We're different now. We're, we're above that. We've grown. We've evolved away from those teachings. It's all that's happened here is this simple section of scripture right here. They've departed from trusting God's word and trusting him, what he says, although he's never given us a reason to doubt him. And they've opened themselves up to believing the world and what Satan is the God of this world. So they give heed to deceiving spirits. Paul says, watch out for that. That's what's going to happen. And doctrines of demons, the teachings of demons. That's Genesis 4. That's Satan whispering into Eve's ear, you will not surely die. That's a teaching of the demons. And we have to be careful of that because he just said last week in the qualification of deacons that the wives of the deacons have to make sure they're not slanderers. And the word slanderer is they're not devil. They're not the devil. 
That'd be pretty hard to say, now, honey, make sure you're not the devil today because I still want to be a deacon. That's not exactly what you say. But the idea behind slander is that's what the devil does. That's what he does. He's the accuser of the brethren. And you don't want a wife or a woman in the church or a man in the church that is that kind of person. They're the accuser of the brethren. That's what they're known for. They stand and they slander. But that's what's going to happen in the last days. In the, in the latter times, they're going to depart from the faith. They're going to give heed to deceiving spirits. In other words, they're going to make themselves available to these spirits. And they're going to believe the doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Can you believe them? You know? No, I can't believe you. you know? Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, they have no idea they're being hypocritical. It's a, they're oblivious to it. It's like me, John. Yeah, really, shorts at church? <laughs> She's wearing shorts. I'm going to pray for you, John. It's not very modest. And sandals, I see. It's just oblivious, you know? Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And they're going to do this, forbidding to marry. No marriage. And commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. In other words, those that know the truth can receive all things. He's going to clarify that. He's, see, some take that to say, yeah, the foods God created to be received. That is the kosher diet. And that's not what he's saying because he goes on to clarify it there. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer, not by the kosher Old Testament. He's not talking about that. We know that. Peter was shown that in the vision by Christ. As the sheet was brought down to him, do not call what I've cleansed a common thing. It's clean. It's good now. All creatures, everything was in that sheet. Everything was included. You can rise, Peter, kill and eat anything in there. Pigs and spiders and everything. It's all there. It's all, if it's received with thanksgiving. But these doctrines of demons, these deceiving spirits are going to begin to teach these things. Don't get married. Don't do that. Don't abstain from foods. And so these are things that I watch out for. I'm not saying that everybody that teaches these two things is, you know, Satan incarnate. You know, I don't believe that. But I do know that they're being influenced by not Christ and not God's word. And so it gives me pause as to whatever else comes out of their mouth. It's tainted. It's messed up by that. It's confusing. Thinking about that. Do you remember that lady? Um, her name was Butterfly. She was a tree hugger kind of gal. And she'd get, she was up in the trees. And uh, she had lived, lived there for a long time. And um, this is a story I heard. So I'm going to relate it to you. Um, but the, the monsoon came. It was El Nino year. And so everything's swaying and moving. And she said she feared for her life. So she was hugging the tree, literally hugging the tree. And the tree spoke to her and told her, fear not. I will protect you. Look at the trees. Look at the trees. And she says, I am looking at the trees. I'm holding on to the tree. And she says, no, no, look at the trees, how we sway in the wind. We will protect you. And she just felt, never felt closer to Mother Nature other than at that moment right there. Now, she's a vegetarian, this butterfly gal. Okay. Now, now what do you eat? You couldn't eat the cows because they were your brethren. But now you can't eat the trees. I mean, you can't eat the grass. What are you going to eat now? Because they're your friends, you know? I'm making fun, and I am making fun, first of all, because it's not of God. These things were created for us to eat. They're for us. 
Now, I'm not talking about dietary restrictions. If it's something that makes you sick when you eat it, then don't eat it. You know, some people can't eat nuts, they can't eat fruits, they can't eat certain things. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying when you teach it as if it's more godly to be this, that, or the other thing because of what you eat, you're in error. And you're listening to deceiving spirits. And you've opened yourselves up to these doctrines of demons. It's not, it's not what God has said in his word. It's offensive to him is what I'm saying. Why are you so big on that? Why do you keep hitting on the vegetarians? Because it's offensive to God. When he says it's all good, you can eat anything, and someone else comes alongside you, a man or a woman, and says you're not to eat those things, you're in direct contradiction to God. That's where I have my problem. I don't care what you eat. If you want to eat salad, eat salad. But if you tell me you're more godly because you eat salad, you're in error. Because you're saying that God's not right and you are. And so Paul is warning him about that. They're going to tell you to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. Those are the people that you're up against, Paul. You're not alongside. You're against those, Timothy, Paul would say. And so we have to be careful about that. We live in the latter days of the latter times. And it's more prevalent than ever. It's becoming more militant than ever. These doctrines of demons, they know their time is short and it's going to become very obvious. We need to pay attention to that. So let me go to a few scriptures here. Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. And I don't want to hit on the food all the time, but this is one of those things we got to... We got to be careful, you know, I'm all for eating Ezekiel bread, if you like Ezekiel bread, but if you like wonder, which is about the worst bread in the world for you, enjoy, you know, you're going to die anyway, enjoy, That's, none of this stuff makes you live forever, just eat it, and die sooner, and get to heaven faster, congratulations. I, I learned a lot from Holly. I learned this one thing from Holly, especially we were at her. Do you mind if I embarrass you about your chocolate milk? I'd love that. Well, we're, we're, parent, we're whole milk. We're going to do this, that. We went over to Holly's house one of these times, and, they, and we looked in milk, and she says, it's chocolate milk. You have chocolate. Like gallons of, I have a gallon of chocolate milk sitting in there. I'm like, well, we make it once in a while. There's a little bit of sugar and all that. She's like, oh, it's fine. Just let them have chocolate milk. I'm like, you know what? You're right. Let them have the chocolate milk. And, and Bo, now, we pour the white milk like we're supposed to, like we think we're supposed to, but out comes the Ovaltine. He pulls out, sets it right beside him, and just, okay, buddy, three scoops is enough for the Ovaltine. He's stirring it up till his spoon stands on end. And I'm thinking, we're free, you know? Enjoy that. And that little kid, I mean, you, when you're a little kid, you can burn calories. It doesn't matter what you eat. So, but... This is the scripture that comes to mind when I think about the chocolate milk. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? And they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And so Jesus answers, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? So there's that seared conscience with a hot iron, not seeing the hypocrisy as they're chewing him out for not washing his hands. How come you do it? For God commanded saying, Honor your father and your mother, and who curses his father and mother, and let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, what profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Can't help you out, mom and dad. Sorry, it's God's. Then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah the prophet say uh, of you, these people draw near to me with their mouths, but honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
And in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. And then he called his disciples to himself. He says, hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. And now the reason I read all of that, and we're going to read more, is that we can focus on food and not supposed to eat that as if that's more godly, because it's so much easier to tell you not to eat something than it is for me to not be a gossip or to not have hateful thoughts towards somebody committing murder in my heart or to covet It's easy for me to look holy by not, I don't eat that because that's, you know. But I don't don't look at the matters of the heart. And so Jesus is saying, get over the food and the washing of the hands. It's about what comes out of the mouth, this this defiles a man. So his disciples came to him and said, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And you're going to offend people when you talk about matters of the heart over the physical things that are easy to manipulate. If I dressed more modestly, but I'm a gossip, I still look more holy than you because you dressed immodestly, although you'd never speak of someone behind their back. It's ironic. It's so strange that you can't see it, you know? Can you believe she's dressed like that? You You see the instant hypocrisy that took place right there? Instantly. I am gossiping, talking about their immodesty, but it makes me look good. You see what I mean? And Jesus is like, oh, every plant which my father, with every plant which my father or heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They're the blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. That's his answer to the offense that he's caused the Pharisees. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. Peter's good. He's blunt, isn't he? Okay, then we obviously didn't get it. Would you just explain it to us? Are you still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? That's pretty coarse for back then. Unless you know it doesn't matter, you're going to eat it, and it's, I mean, you know. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. You wouldn't think that you could discern that from people's speech, but you can. Listen to what people say. Listen to how they describe their lives and and what's okay with them and what's not okay. You'll find out what's in the heart really quick. It shows. It's obvious. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Plain and simple. And so back to Timothy here. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Paul, uh, Paul warned the Ephesians. Do you remember? It's interesting that Timothy's left in Ephesus to set up the leadership. He actually warned the Ephesians in that pastor conference, the first leadership conference ever in the Bible in chapter 20 of Acts. Verses 29 through 31, you can read it. Paul warned them and said, Savage, when I, de- when I depart, savage wolves are going to rise up from outside and from within. And they're going to do these exact same things. And so when Paul writes to Timothy, watch out for this stuff. He had already warned the leaders of Ephesus at the time, but he's also saying, Timothy, make sure you raise up, guys, because right now both are present. This is uh, probably five years, well, I don't know how... how, how, how the, Timothy's been with him about 15 years now. Let's put it that way. Now, I don't, I don't know 
the other time between Ephesus and when he said that to him in, in Acts, but they're close, they're similar. They're both there, Timothy. Watch out, you don't pick a wolf and put him in charge. And here's what you watch out for. They're going to talk about the things that I warned the leadership about in chapter 20. Watch out for these guys. Those guys can't be leaders in the church. If they're already teaching this stuff and I haven't been gone, but, you know, watch out. They're open to anything. Okay, that's the apostasy. Now let's move on to verse 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. You'll be a good pastor, Timothy. Teach these things. Let them be nourished with God's word. Nourish them. You're going to help them grow. You're going to convict them of some, God's word's going to convict them of some things, uh, but they're going to grow up in it. And it's a good thing. If you do these things, Timothy, and nourished in the words of faith um, and of the good teaching or doctrine which you have carefully followed, do these things. Keep teaching those things. So if you ever wonder what you're supposed to teach, you ever get a chance and someone gives you an opportunity to share, you know, hey, can you, can you share sometime? Can you come up and teach sometimes? And that'll happen. God will give you those moments. Very simple. Teach God's word. You don't have to teach on a topic. Pick a chapter and teach it. That is the sword of the spirit. It's easy. You take a chapter and you just teach the chapter. It's hard. Like Rod and I were asked to teach at the conference down there. and We're supposed to teach on Sunday school ministry, which, which is, you know, we know what they want. They want nuts and bolts. They want to know how do you do it and all that. And so instantly when they gave us two sessions, I thought, well, I'll give Rod the nuts and bolts because that's what he does. He does the nut, he, he implements. It's what he does. He knows that. And that's, that's what they're expecting. But you can't take the nuts and bolts of Calvary Chapel Maryville's ministry and insert it into your ministry. You can't do that. It won't work because what we have as nuts and bolts is what's been given to us through prayer, through God's word and by the Holy Spirit for this fellowship. It's not for every fellowship. I mean, there's some basics that everybody should probably have, but to do it like we're doing it is, is to exclude the Holy Spirit's guidance in your ministry. And so that's what I'm going to teach on in the morning service. Before we get to the nuts and bolts in the afternoon with Rod, I'm going to teach about being led by the Holy Spirit. So when you wonder, what am I supposed to teach? Topically, it's hard, you know? Um, that's why I'm saying teaching on the topic of the children's ministry, I had to pick a scripture and I'm going to teach it. Um, and that's the best way to do it. Otherwise you can be jumping all over the place and trying to pull together a common thread, which you can do and it can be done on marriage or on, I mean, it, it happens, but just teach his word. Don't teach from it. Don't springboard off of it. Like I'm going to use this and jump into what I want to talk about. Just teach God's word. God's word works. It never returns void. It always accomplishes what it was set out to do. It's, it's just, it's easy because God does it. Just teach it. Teach God's word. But as long as you're teaching God's word, here's the but. Reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. I mean, he's going to go into the godliness thing, but you can't skip that verse 7. That's a tough thing. People have things set in their mind. Profane and old wives' fables. These are things. Cleanliness is next to godliness. That's not in the Bible. And if you're looking for those angels that are in disguise and you're going to recognize them because they're clean, 
Because only clean, you know, that's next to godliness. And they're coming down to disguise. They can't disguise that. They're going to smell great. You're going to miss out on all the stinky angels that came down and really disguised themselves well. I'm, I'm, I'm using something small. But we have a lot of things in our mind that we just think is biblical, but it's not in the scriptures. It's not there. It's not in God's word. It's something we've learned as a tradition. It's a tradition of man that we've been taught as a doctrine of God. And it's not true. And so Paul, and I don't, I don't have time to go into all of them. There are so many of them. That's why we study God's word so that we can discern what's true and what's false, right? Um, we talk about the teller at the bank that handles all the real money. They don't have to learn about all the fake money. They just handle real money all the time. And you slip in a fake dollar bill and they come through it. They can feel it. This feels wrong. I don't know what's wrong with it. I can't tell what's wrong with it, but it doesn't feel like all the other that I've handled. Likewise, when you study God's word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, from Genesis to Revelation, you begin to handle the real. When something false comes up, you're like, eh, it doesn't seem right. Because you could spend all day long teaching about all the false heresies out there. This is false. We're going to focus on this tonight. This is false. We're going to focus on this. You know, time. Study the real, the false exposes itself. And so Paul says, watch out for that, but reject. Don't accept, don't coddle. You're going to hurt feelings. Oh, you know the question I get the most, this is going to hurt feelings right now. So, of course, I'm going to do it. It's pets. It's your animals. It's your pets. When they die, am I going to see Freddy again? No, he's worm food. He's dead. Sorry. Some of, the, some, of the kid, some of the parents are plugging their kids' ears. No, no, no. They don't have souls. They don't have spirits. There's nothing in Scripture that tells us that. They're just, they're animals. We anthropomorphize them in our Western culture, and we think that they're people and that with feelings and hearts and souls, and they're spiritual, and there's some kind of animal contact, and we're like one with them, and you're not. You can put a sweater on them all you want, but they're just beasts. <laughs> That's a fable. It's a, it's a wives' tale. It's something that we've grown accustomed to. Guys, you want to take care of someone, take care of an orphan. Sell the sweater for your dog for five bucks on eBay and send it to give some kids some food who has a soul, who has a spirit. Take care of people. I'm just... You have to reject those things. You have to say the hard things, Timothy. It might not be fun to hear the truth about... And that's one. I could really... We could go on and on with that. Things that we've just adopted is... Reject those profane and old wives' fables, Timothy. And it's a hard thing to do, but do it. And then exercise yourself towards godliness, God-likeness. And he talked about that in the previous chapter, what it meant to be like God. I want you to practice being like God. For bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having, promise, having a promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. That is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Bodily exercise is fine, but it profits little. And what happens is, uh, much like um, when you talk about the physical and the things we can see, it's easy to replace the spiritual. And focus so much on your body that it becomes a God in its, of itself. You worship it and its looks and the way it feels and the way you feel in it. And the way other people look at you is dependent upon what that body looks like. And so by all means, do your best. Stay as healthy as possible, but don't neglect for the sake of the body, the spiritual things in life, Paul says. 
Exercise yourself towards godliness. Do your push-ups, that's fine, but then, you know, read a chapter in between sets, you know. Practice that because that's what goes on into eternity. These all get upgraded anyway. The bodies you're wearing right now, worm food too. Not going to be there. You may not be a brunette up there. You may not be a blonde. I don't know what you're going to be. You may have long hair. You may have some hair, John. Exactly. We're hoping. (laughs) You might be taller. We should hope. Just as something, the, the width thing is getting a little old. Some of you guys, not me. I'm just saying, and Paul is saying here, that's fine. The bodily exercise is fine, but don't let it become your God. Don't let it become your thing. Don't let it become your gospel. It can become a gospel. Well, I don't do that. What do you talk about most with people when you're having conversations with them? Is it about Jesus, his word, your faith in Christ, heaven, eternity? Or is it about, fill it in. I'm more comfortable talking about, fill it in. Is it becoming your gospel? Um, I'm on a diet right now, and it's working really well for me, but I don't want it to be my gospel. I mean, let's eat some donuts together and talk about Jesus any day over that dumb diet that doesn't let me eat donuts anyway, you know? (laughs) Bodily exercise profits a little. Uh, at the Bible college out at Marietta, that's what the gym's called. It's called Come to the Prophet's Little Gym. This is what it says outside. That's, that's the title of it, Prophet's Little. For bodily exercise, Prophet's Little. But godliness is profitable for all things. That's what you carry on in eternity. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach. Because of the things I just told you, Timothy, we suffer uh, reproach. And that's what we work for. That's what we strive for. That's what our business is. Um, that's our ministry. Because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. You are going to suffer reproach if you're preaching the gospel, if you're living a godly life. I want you to live a godly life, Timothy. I want you to exercise towards godliness. I want you to work at that. If you're going to work at anything, do that. Because this is what we do, and this is how we suffer reproach. Um, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You will. We will. We're, we're no different. We're no better than Christ. If he suffered, we're going to suffer. And so Paul says, this is, this is what we do. And we serve a God who's the Savior of all men. Boy, you've got to underline that. I'm going to go through three scriptures, and there's a hundred more of them. But Timothy just tells us that Jesus is the Savior of all men, not some. He is the Savior of all men. You got John chapter 3, verse 16. We know that, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting light. Not for some, he died for the world. He died for all men. He's the Savior of all men. And that's why he says, but especially those who believe. In other words, the opportunity is available to all men, but those who believe are the ones that are saved. But it's available to all. He didn't just die for some and not die for others. Be careful about that doctrine. In the hopes of making God or making yourself feel better, as if you're being a better Christian by saying that God is sovereign. God can be so sovereign that he's offered up all and chosen at the same time. The salvation is for all, but he's chosen those who are going to accept him by omnipotence. 
Because he knows those who are going to believe. And so he chose those who were going to believe, but it was still their choice. And so we have this beautiful meshing in marriage. It's not a, it's not a contradiction. It's a dichotomy, but it's not a contradiction. He's the savior of all men. Let me read John 3.16 and then through 18, because that's the, that's the important part. We know John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Not some. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they've been done in God. That's why people don't come to Christ, because they don't want their deeds exposed. They have other reasons that they tell you, but the real reason is they don't want, they don't want their deeds. I love my sin. I don't want to throw my sin away. I reject it. I reject Christ. I can keep my sin. The other verse is Revelation twenty two seventeen. Whoever so whoever 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 so wants to drink of that living water may give it to them. They can take it. The whosoever. Um, it's not for the few. It's the whosoever. John three sixteen for the world. Here in First Timothy chapter four, Savior of all men, especially those who believe. In other words, you need to preach this gospel, Timothy, to everybody. Not everybody's going to believe, but to everybody. Now, he moves on. Take heed to your ministry, Timothy. Your servanthood. That's what ministry means, to be a servant. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Don't let anybody despise your youth. Now, Timothy's a young guy, obviously. And it's easy to overlook young people because, um, well, because they're young. How could you possibly know kind of thing? I was thinking about, I have have lots of examples of my kids, but I'm not going to use my kids tonight. I'm going to use Todd and Amy's kid, Chad. (laughs) He's a wise kid, isn't he? And uh, of those stories Andrea's told me, and I've heard some from you guys, Amy and Todd, about Chad, um, um, he'll just tell Dad, no, that's that's not how, let's do it this way. And Dad's learned, yeah, that's a good way. That's That's a wise way to do it. Chad's, how old is Chad? 17 years old, but he's been doing it for, yeah, for, since he was long younger than that. But there's wisdom there. And dad's not so proud and mom's not so proud to say, you know, yeah, it's a better way. Flat out. Great, let's do it. That's a good thing. Um, and we can't look at young people and say, well, that's, that's you know, you're just young. You, you'll learn. You'll come around. Whatever. Well, you got to listen. Now, on the other hand, before all the young people stand up and say, yeah. A lot of you young people say a lot of dumb things too, and you're wrong, flat out wrong, and you got to be humble enough to know it. You know, <laughs> I said some pretty dumb things when I was a kid. I've never said any dumb things since, but when I was young, I used to say dumb things, thought dumb things, believed dumb things, tried to tell other people to believe dumb things. They called me on it. All Paul's telling Timothy is, don't don't act your age. I mean, he's probably 35, 38 years old, but back then you need to be a certain age before you could actually be talking to elders like that or teaching or, you know, it's a real strange event when Jesus at the age of 12 was talking to the people in the temple, the, the leaders in the temple like that. He wasn't being disrespectful, but he knew more than they did, obviously. 
That was rare. And so Paul saying, Timothy, make sure that they don't have an excuse to look at your youth and not hear the gospel because of your words, your conduct, the way you love or don't, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Make sure you're walking the walk so that the gospel can be received from you. And that's a rebuke for any of us. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. What does your word say? What's your speech like? As we learned earlier, what comes out of our mouths is what's in our hearts. And when people listen to us talk, can they hear Jesus? Can they hear the gospel, the good news from you? We have to guard ourselves and make sure that our word matches up with what we believe. Our conduct matches up with what we believe. I don't want to teach one thing and then go do something else. I want to be what I teach. Because if I don't do what I teach, that means I don't believe it. And there's nothing worse than insincerity when you're trying to share the gospel with somebody. Well, if you don't believe it, in love. Um, read 1 Corinthians 13 um, regularly so that you understand what it looks like to love. Um, God is love, and that's, it's, a, it's a tall order, but that's what it's supposed to look like. Am I look, do I look like that? Can people receive the gospel because of the way I speak? In my conduct? The way I love, in spirit, um, what kind of spirit are you supposed to have? Do you know what kind of spirit a Christian is supposed to have? First Peter chapter 3, verse 4 tells us that. And it's meant towards women, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't like it in guys too. A gentle and quiet spirit is pleasing to the Lord. He's not telling men that you can be loud mouths and brash and a pain in the neck. And women aren't supposed to be that way. No, this is, gentle, this is pleasing to God in any human being. A gentle and quiet spirit. Now that's coming from... Peter, <laughs> Mr. Gentle, Mr. Quiet. But he learned. Remember how many times, if you look through Peter, how many times this rough, tough fisherman used the word precious? You know, ah, oh, he's precious. He's precious. Precious. You mean cool? You mean awesome? You mean nice or cool? You know, whatever. No, he's precious. Come on, Peter. Pick, pick a better, a more manly word, you know. Now he'd been touched by Christ. He had a gentle and quiet spirit after he'd been filled with the spirit of Christ. Jesus had a gentle and quiet spirit. Flipped tables when necessary. But he was not scary to kids at all. People weren't scared of him. Pharisees were scared of him. They had good reason to be because every time they tried to challenge him, they got whooped verbally. Well, and flipping tables too. And he made a whip of cords, which means he... <laughs> Probably physically abuse those guys too. So there's a time, but they're a gentle and quiet spirit to the point where he's sitting on the side of the hill and there's 5,000 people that are just drawn to him and want to hear what he has to say because there was grace in his words. They knew him. I want to have that. I want to have that kind of spirit. I, I don't want to be afraid to, to flip tables when necessary, make whips of cords when we need to do that. I don't want to, I'm not that kind, I'm not a milk toast. but you want to not be scary, you know? In faith, I want to be a faithful person. That's what he means there, in faith. Not only do you trust God, but you're trustworthy yourself or your person of your word. Um, Proverbs 28, 20, Proverbs 26. We don't have time to read those right now, but you can write those down and look them up on your own. But those are, those are faithful. Who can find a faithful man and so on? It's faithful. And then in purity. Timothy, you need to be a pure guy. And he's in Ephesus. Remember, great is the goddess Diana? That's those people. 
they would worship in the temple through prostitution and so on. And Timothy, I know you're living there and I know you're raising up guys here, but when you're looking for elders and leaders in the church and you yourself, you need to be pure in that place. There's a lot of things that you can get away with. I was thinking about that naval chaplain um, that uh, I remember this. Um, my guy that led me to the Lord, Brian Spafford, they went on a float to, with the Navy. You guys are trouble. Um, to the Philippines. And everybody knows what the Philippines offers. Um, anyway, in the military, everybody knows in the military, that's the float you want to go on if you're a carnal. That's the float you want to go on because anything's available when you get there. Um, and before you go off ship, you're told to be careful and all the things that await you are true, but, you know, um, you can bring back things you didn't want to bring back. I'll leave it at that. Um, the chaplain said on that float to, I, would, I didn't go on that float, I was kept back. Um, I, was, I was attached to a different group. Um, he said, yeah, the chaplain came up and told us what happens here is private and we don't talk about it. Because that chaplain was going out to do what everybody else was going to do. He says, that was our spiritual leader on the, on the ship. That was our chaplain. Um, Purity. How could you receive anything from that guy knowing that? You know? And a lot of us are like, oh, I can't believe that. That's just more common than you know. It's more common than you know. Um, but it ought not be said about us. Guys, you, we can have friends that are unbelievers. Of course, that's important. We're supposed to have friends that are outside, they're not Christians. But please remember this. You want to have friends so that they become Christians. Because you're going to friend them all the way to hell. You're going to be friends with them and wave to them and be kind to them and be accepting of them all the way to hell if you never tell them about Jesus Christ. If you don't tell them the gospel, if you don't tell them the things they need to hear. And here's the thing. Paul warns Timothy, and we already said this in verse 10, you're going to suffer reproach. There's going to come a point in time when, when Jesus calls me his friend and I've got a friend that wants to badmouth my friend Jesus, I've got a decision to make. Who am I going to stand up for and who am I going to correct? I'm going to stand up with Jesus. I'm going to stand up for Jesus. To not do that is to be selfish. It's to be self-centered. It's to avoid conflict. It's to make sure that you're not looked at poorly. It's, it's, not, it's about you. It's not about that person anymore. To live a pure life, to live a godly life, and to do that in front of. See, when Jesus sat with and ate with tax collectors and sinners, he didn't join them in it. He was separate, he was different, he was godly. And what's interesting is when you're that kind of person in that kind of crowd, they join you. You're salt, you make people thirsty for living water. You're not doing what we're doing. We do this so that we can forget about our day. We do this so that we can have a nice life. We do this for all these reasons, to numb the pain. But you don't do that because you don't need to numb the pain. What do you have? Because I want that water from that well. Not this well that I've been drinking from. Not this polluted well. I want that well. Live purely. Till I come, give attention to reading, 
to exhortation, to doctrine. Don't leave out the reading of God's word. Don't forget to exhort the people to do God's word and teach. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, Timothy, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Remember that. Don't let that slip away. Don't let that go into mothballs or collect dust. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine or your teaching. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. I had to get to that last part because it goes along with what I just said about purity and being friends with the world or in the world with worldly people, unbelievers. Remember, your goal is to take heed to yourself that they may be saved. If you compromise and live like they do, what is the point? Why why come to Christ? If I'm okay as I am without Christ, why do I need him? What did he save me from? The cross becomes of no effect. Jesus died on the cross for sin. If we don't call out sin, then Christ didn't need to die on the cross. There's no need for a savior and we're all okay. It nullifies Jesus. It nullifies his call, his ministry. I talked to you about that. That's why God made me a pastor so that I'd read his word every once in a while, right? Because without being a pastor, I'm pretty sure this would collect mothballs and dust. That's kind of what he just said here. Continue in them for in doing this. Take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. I, I must read this, and by doing this, I'm saving myself. By working out my own salvation, by studying and getting it. Okay, now God, what do you want me to share with them? I've got it in my heart. Now how do I share it with them? In the process of this ministry that he's called me to, I've saved myself and maybe some of you as you hear God's word by his Holy Spirit. Timothy, you are sustained spiritually by the ministry you've been given by God. That's another way to put it. You are being sustained by the ministry God's called you to whether you like it or not, some of you, you know, I'm not sure if I want this ministry or not. You're being sustained spiritually by doing the ministry that God's called you. When you neglect the gift, when you neglect the calling of God upon your life, you're actually doing more harm to yourself because you're not doing what's necessary for your growth spiritually. So do it. And that's where we close tonight. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this chapter. Um, as we finish up next week in five and six, that's our hope anyway. We'll, of course, be led by your spirit, whatever you want to do, but that's our hope. Lord, help us to, we're not all pastors. We're not all Timothys. We're not all, but we all have ministries. And every bit of this can be applied to us, God. None of this is, uh, we, in fact, we may not be ministers yet, but we need to do this now so that we can be later. And all of us are called to minister in some way, shape, or form, and so none of this is bad. So Lord, help us to take heed to ourselves. Help us to live purely. Help us to live godly lives, Lord. Help us to take all these words that you wrote through Paul to Timothy to ourselves. But this is a lost and dying world. We're in the latter days of the latter times. We can see all these things happening right now. We can name some of these things. We can see it. We can point at them. It's not something hidden or might be bubbling up later on. It's out in the open. These doctrines of demons, these things that people have fallen into and they've rejected the faith, Lord, we can see it. Lord, as Christians, as followers of you, as we've studied your word tonight, as we're told to do, we've been exhorted by your word, by Paul. Lord, help us to be exhorted. And then, Lord, help us to share it with other people. Help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to walk out of here different. Help us to be doers of what you just showed us. 
but let it also, Lord, help us to share it with those around us. Lord, let this be our gospel. Let your word be our gospel. Let the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for all men be our gospel and nothing else. Let nothing replace it, Lord. Lord, bless these folks as they go tonight. They've taken this Wednesday out to study your word. They want to draw close to you. You've drawn close to us. Your word promises us that. You've been faithful and we thank you for that. And now we're different. Lord, help us to be different, Lord. To be in the world, but not of it, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a good rest of the night, guys. If you need prayer before you go, be glad to pray with you. Um, Otherwise, um, Lord bless you.